Amen. Thanks, Brian. You may be seated. Once again, thank you for being here today. Uh, Members, regular attenders, and guests as well. Appreciate it. Nice, cool, brisk morning outside. Feels great. Well, we find ourselves at the end of a series. We've been going through and and asking and and then answering uh, several very popular questions that that we as Christians need to know the answer to, and also the, the world needs to know the answer to as well. And today we find ourselves on the last one in this series, and next week we will begin our our Messenger and Messiah series that will take us on through Christmas. Uh, but the title of today's sermon is simply, Is the Bible Reliable? And I'm going to start with just some basic information about the Bible. We're also going to pick this up in today's discipleship time and look more at how we um, have gotten the Bible and look at the history of it. But uh, just in case you, you don't know much about the Bible, oftentimes children and oftentimes uh, people that are new to Christianity kind of assume wrongly that the Bible is maybe written by one person. But, but obviously we know that's not true. Uh, we do have the Old Testament, and then we also have the New Testament. The Old Testament was written over a period of about a thousand years. Uh, then you have a blank page. Sometimes your Bible, unless you have a study Bible, might have more information in it than that. But you have a blank page there that might say New Testament after the book of Malachi. And of course, that begins the New Testament. And the New Testament was written... Also, not by one person, but at least nine authors for the New Testament. Old Testament, we have around 30 authors that have written it. Old Testament, again, was written over about a thousand-year period. Uh, New Testament, written over about a 25 to 30-year period, it it does look like from historians of what they say. And uh, so we have various authors. The authors are from all parts and walks of life. We have kings that have written parts of the Bible. We have extremely poor people, impoverished uh, prophets who have written parts of the Bible as well. We have people in king's courts who have written the Bible, such as Isaiah. But multiple authors over, over a long period of time that have, have become, this has become the Word of God. It always was the Word of God, but it has now been collected in what we now call the Bible. All right, now, the Old Testament, to begin with that, is the Bible reliable? I have this passage on the screen for you today, and we'll, we're going to go kind of from here so you don't have to look it up unless you want to. You certainly can. But Luke 24, verse 44, says this, uh, Then he said to them, speaking of Jesus, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now look with me at this passage. Uh, So this is Jesus speaking. He has risen from the dead. He is is walking with several of his believers there, several of the disciples, and says these words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. He's telling them, I told you all this was going to happen before it did happen. All right, now this is a very important key, and we're going to get into this more as we progress in this message today. But Jesus is telling them that he told them everything that was going to happen to him, the way he would die and, and how he would die, and that he would then rise from the dead before it even happened to him. He said, not only did I tell you these things would happen before they happened, but look who else. He says, uh, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, this is a very important passage because the Old Testament, what we call just the Old Testament now, uh, was actually divided up into three categories. And they were, it was always referred to instead of being the Old Testament. Now we call it that because we have the New Testament. But they had the, the law of Moses, 
the prophets, and the Psalms. And that was the collection of writings that made up the Old Testament. So this statement is extremely important when we come to this question, is the Bible reliable? Here we have God on earth, Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate, God in the flesh. Here is his opportunity. If anything is wrong in this collection of writings, if people have wrongly assumed that some of these uh, writings should be Scripture, but they're actually not Scripture, here is the opportunity for God to correct his creation. On Hey, I know you, I saw you have this book of writings that you think that I have said my word, but actually this one is not, this one is not, this one is not. No. Instead, he says, absolutely right. He says, these are the writings from God. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So here he puts a full stamp of approval on what we now call the Old Testament. And again, remember who he is. It's not like just me saying, hey, we should trust the Old Testament. This is God. This is God in the flesh. So when he says, yes, what we call the Old Testament now is absolutely right. Not only is it right, but all of it has spoken about me. And now I am here fulfilling everything that was written by me. And it's just amazing when you really sit and think about it. All these authors over a thousand year period, we have the law of Moses. We have the prophets. We have the psalm. And yet all these authors over a thousand year period from all walks and different places in the world have all been riding towards the fulfillment. And who is the fulfillment? It is the Christ. It is the Messiah. It is the gospel. It is God in the flesh who has come to save sinners. So we have the Old Testament uh, validated. God has proven, yes, it is real. He says it is. It is what we should believe as well. Now, the New Testament, also we have, as Scripture, we have the writings of the prophets mainly there in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the writings of the apostles. And the New Testament, nine different authors written around over a period of about 25 years. Now, the little facts about the Bible help us to begin to kind of picture what this is. It's a wonderful collection of the Word of God over a long period of time. But it all is written with one, it's called meta-narrative, one main story within all the little stories that God is writing. And here we see Jesus mentioning it. All this writing has been pointing to me. And so we see that all these authors over the around 1500 year period god has been speaking through them writing the story so that we may know the whole entire story so we have the beginning we have genesis we have the end we have revelation we know how it began and we know how everything is going to end as well now let's progress further into this is the bible reliable now i'm going to start with just just a basic analogy here so you can kind of understand uh, we're going to look at does the bible have a divine fingerprint. How do we know this actually is from God? And as we contemplate that, I want you to kind of consider, I know not too long ago, a week or two ago, it was a Back to the Future Day. Uh, there was, uh, um, some of you smiled and some of you were Back to the Future fans, but it was the, what was it, the year that, that Marty McFly was supposedly going to go in the future and see things. And anyway, we've arrived at that year now, if you remember that show. And uh, we still don't have flying cars flying all around. It didn't quite work out the way that, that they thought it might be by this time. But, but the gist of it is, is, what if you did have a time machine? All right, follow me on this. And you, could, and you could go into the future and you could see everything. You could go 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, and then you could come back. 
and, and you knew everything that was going to happen into the future. I mean, you would know, like, who's going to win games on Sunday, and you would know who's going to win games on Monday, and, and you could know, you could play the stock market and be absolutely right. You could know everything that is going to happen. Why? Because you went to the future, and you came back, you saw it, you witnessed it, and now you're back here. All right. Now, we know that, obviously, that movie... Uh, was pretend it was not not correct and we know that we can't actually travel into the future and see what is going to happen who is the only one who truly has power over time and it's not not a fancy delorean and it's not you or i and no one can actually go into the future and see what is truly going to happen there but it is it is god and only god has power over time he is the one who created it he is above it And he is not trapped or limited by time. Now, parts of this message here at the beginning are kind of going to make your brain hurt a little, but follow it through if you don't mind. Uh, If we think about it, even within the creation, God creates Adam. Does he create a baby? Uh, Does he create Eve as a baby? No, he creates mature people. Does he create seeds or does he create full-grown plants and full-grown animals? And we find that birds are flying in the air and fish are swimming already and animals are crawling and walking already upon creation. In other words, God is not limited by time. He can, he can do whatever he wants to do with it. In the New Testament, Jesus turns, turns water into wine, something that would take years and years and years and years to to process he can do just like that because he's not limited by time uh so not only is he not limited by time but god and anytime we think on god you you get a brain cramp because we're thinking about something that we cannot fully comprehend i always tell people that when we we study god when we truly study theology and we study who god is we're never going to get to the end and say, aha, now I know everything there is to know about God. I mean, we have this much gray matter in our head, and we're trying to contemplate the one who spoke and created the universe. I mean, we can't do it all, okay? But we do know from what God's word has revealed to us that God is omniscient. Sounds like a big word, but it's just the word omni with the word science, and we have omniscience there. Omni means all, science means knowledge. So that God is all-knowing. And this is beyond just being very smart, like humans can be sometimes. But this is knowing all things perfectly at the exact same time. And again, this is where our mind gets blown, that that God does not need time to progress in order to learn what is going to happen. He can see all things past, present, future at once. Uh, One famous theologian, J.I. Packer, says that, that God is in the eternal now. He sees everything as now. He doesn't have to read books about what did happen or, or, or wait till things happen in the future and then try to plan and orchestrate things as people are, are making different choices and different things are happening to make it all work out in the end. But he knows all things at one time. So this omniscience is, is mind-boggling. Uh, one of the verses that come to mind when you study omniscience is this, Psalm 139, 16. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance, speaking of God, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. I mean, try to get your mind around this just for a second. You see what I mean? God is all-knowing. He knows all things even before they happen. I mean, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Before the person is even born, this is David speaking, before he was even born, every day was written about him in God's book. 
the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So David was not even born yet, but yet he acknowledges God's omniscience and knowing of everything that is going to be in the future. All his days are already written about him before one of them even comes to pass. I mean, this is the knowledge of God. This is what we're talking about, that God knows everything at one time. God existed before time, even, if you think about that. Uh, God puts the universe in place, sun, moon, and now we have time. We have measurements of time now, but at one time there was no time. I mean, imagine that. So we have God who exists before time. He exists outside of time. He's not limited by time. And this is why this is extremely important. God is eternal. He knows all things at once. Now, the, where we're going with this is how we know the Bible is reliable. So we first have to realize that, yes, God exists. And, yes, God is all-knowing. And he's also outside of time. Is there uh, a way to know the future? Now, we do have cheap imitations. Uh, we have people that say they can, uh, you know, read your palm, palm readers or something like that. One of my favorite uh, theologians, R.C. Sproul, says, if palm reading really worked, why is every palm reader in a shack on the side of the road and not in the biggest mansion in the town, right? And, and it really is true. If you've ever driven by and seen the palm readers, it's a, sh- a little shack, scary little red light and a palm up there, you know? It's like, man, that's, that's, that's not good. If you really know the future, like play the stock market or something, you know? Like if you know what's going to happen, uh, go, go to the right store and get the right lotto ticket. I mean, come on, don't, 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 don't rely on the $5 here and there to get, get, keep you going. But, but the point is that there are imitations, of course, of people who say they have the power to to know the future, you know, the old tarot cards, and they'll th- throw some cards out there and make some general speculations, or palm reader. Or, I remember years ago, there was a very popular guy, and I don't even remember his name, but he was on one of the talk shows, and he supposedly had the power to communicate with the dead and tell people what's going to happen in the future, and, and so the the talk show host says, you know, if you don't mind, you'll share this with us today. And, and so he hones in to be able to hear some voices, and, you know, he says, I think there's someone out there, you know, with with um, someone who's trying to communicate through me to them. And, and, and the one communicating through me, their name starts with like a D. Is there anyone out there with knows someone that has died with the, the first letter in the name D, you know? And, oh, like, like 20 people, oh, it could be me. And so they're all excited, you know? And, and is, is there, you know, is there something they might have said to you that was really important at one time or, or said something important to someone that you knew? And, oh, five more people, oh, that's me for sure, you know? And it's just general speculations, which obviously if, if you're smart enough and quick enough, you can create a scenario where people could, that are highly sensational could believe that you're really communicating and you're speaking to someone from the dead about their future, etc. But those are cheap imitations. Those aren't the real deal. What we're going to be talking about today is something that is much more powerful than that. We are going to be talking about prophecy. Now, has God spoken to humanity? We know that God exists, obviously. Uh, we are here. We know something has to have always been for us to be here. Nothing. Uh, the universe did not create itself. We know it's impossible. Mass doesn't create its own mass. Energy can't create energy from nothing. There has to be an eternal who has, spoke, who has spoken, who has created everything, as the book of Genesis says. But has this God who has created spoken to humanity in a specific way? And we're going to find that the answer is yes, and we can trust that the Word of God, the Bible, is truly the Word of God. Uh, is it the Bible, 
Or are there other religious books or any religious book that we should also trust? And in, in today's society, this is extremely important because you have to be able to defend this is what we believe and, and this is what I live by and this is the true doctrine that I believe. This is the one and only word of God because it is common today for people to say, oh, I believe the Bible, but also believe this book over here and also believe this book over here and also believe this religion and this religion and this religion. And they put this on the shelf with all kinds of books. If you go to a non-Christian bookstore, a regular bookstore, like in the mall or Barnes and Noble or something of that such, you will find that they'll have a Bible and right next to it, they'll have all kinds of other religious books on the very same shelf. Why is that? Because it's all grouped together. Uh, for them, it's all the same. Just choose one. It doesn't matter which one. But we as believers say, no, this is the authority in my life. I am supposed to live as it tells me to live. I'm supposed to believe as it tells me to believe. But why is that? As if you're at the bookstore and, and you reached up there and grabbed that one and someone walked up to you and says, why that one? Why not the one beside it? Why not the Book of Mormon right there? Why not, why, why not the Quran right over here? Why not the, the writings of Veda, the Hindu writings? Why not this religion? Why, why this one? Why do you trust this one? What, what do you say? Is the Bible reliable? How do we know that it is indeed reliable? If we say that the Bible is the only true revelation of God, then how can we prove it? And what we're going to look at today is does the Bible have some kind of divine fingerprint on it that other religious books do not have. All right, this is what we're looking for. Why do you pick this one? Why do you have this one? Why do you read this one? When you want to know about God, when you want to know how you should live, why do you pick this one up and not Chicken Soup for the Soul? All right, some, some other book that was written here lately. Uh, why is that? Because this book is not just a regular book. This indeed does have the fingerprint of God on it, and we're going to look at that today. All right. Um, foretelling of future events and those events coming true exactly as predicted would be this divine fingerprint that we are looking at. Again, we're not talking about cheap imitations, but what we're going to look at is God, as I told you, is beyond time. God knows all things perfectly at one time. So what we're going to look at today is prophecy and what it means to be a prophet. And follow me along on this. I think you'll, you'll, you'll learn something, you'll grasp something today, and you'll have an answer of why you picked this book over the other books at the store. Um, what was the title given to someone in the Bible that God used to do such a thing as prophesy, as to speak future events that are going to happen, and then those events come true? That is what we call a prophet. All right, so the way it works is God... And not man. This is not something a man just creates in and of himself to say, I think this is going to happen in the future. I think this is going to... No, but God would supernaturally choose certain individuals. They were called prophets, and they would be the mouthpiece of God. And God would speak through them, and they would announce what God has spoken through them. most common way in the Old Testament we see is the prophet would say, Thus saith the Lord. It wasn't every word that the man said, the prophet said, that was the voice of God, but he would say something to the effect of, thus saith the Lord. In other words, this I've been talking, whether I'm Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of these other prophets, uh, Moses, whoever it is, Samuel, they could be speaking normally as you and I are, but God would move upon them in a certain way where they would say, thus saith the Lord, and it would be the voice of God, uh, God's words coming through them, the conveying this message to the rest of humanity, whoever they were speaking to there. So that is a prophet. Now, quite common 
to a prophet is that God would actually use sometimes miracles to, to show that this was a prophet. We can't do miracles in and of ourselves. Only God can do that. It's a supernatural thing. But also he would use the prophet to speak of events that are going to happen in the future and they would come true exactly as the prophet had said. Now, this was extremely important because it validated and verified that the prophet was truly sent from God, that the people should listen to his words, and acknowledge that he, this was truly God speaking through him. Because how else could he know exactly what is going to happen in the future? So this is what we have in the Bible. Uh, a prophet was a man that spoke, through, that God spoke through. Keep that in mind. And now there is extreme, you might be saying, well, what if, what if people made this up? What if people actually, you know, kind of had some good guesses, like the guy I mentioned on TV or like a palm reader, and, hey, this, this is going to come true in the future, and it kind of does, and sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. Is that still a, a prophecy? Is that still a prophet from God? Uh, God made sure that that was not going to happen, and we look at Deuteronomy 18.20, the voice, uh, verse that some of you might be familiar with, but God guarded the position the, of prophecy and who a prophet was with extreme care. Look at 1820, Deuteronomy. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, again, God speaking, anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. Wow. Let me read that again. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name, I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods must be put to death. Why was the punishment for false prophecy so harsh? And this is why I have it up here on the screen for you today. But, but if you think about this, it was punishable by death. Uh, in other words, if you say, thus saith the Lord, a prophet said that, that this will happen on this day and it doesn't come true, then the punishment was actually death. Why such a serious punishment? I mean, all he said was this is going to happen on a certain day and it didn't come true. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, right? But actually, it's a huge deal. And it was a capital punishment, a capital offense here in the book of Deuteronomy. Look at this. A false prophecy was an extremely serious offense because, one, the false prophet was imposing their own words as God's. And this is serious. I cannot speak from God. A prophet could not speak the exact words of God unless God was truly speaking to him. This is how the people would know that these things would come true exactly. But if they did not come true exactly, it meant the God who is outside of time, who knows all things perfectly, who knows exactly as if we could get in a time machine, go in the future, and know exactly what's going to happen, come back and know God knows exactly what's going to happen in the future. So if a prophet ever said, this is going to happen, and it did not happen, what's that let everyone know? Let them know that they were an imposter. They were a liar. They were not a true prophet of God, and they were to be stoned because they were just speaking their own words and telling everyone else these words are God's. So the chair, the office of prophet, was extremely guarded, extremely protected. Uh, people should not assume just whatever they felt like saying. Uh, they should say and say, oh, thus saith the Lord, uh, give me $1,000 today, right? Uh, so that you couldn't, prophets, prophets would try to do such a thing. So the the what was the stamp of approval from God on them was these events will happen exactly as the prophet has said. Number two, people could wrongly believe that God failed. 
This is extremely important. Like if a false prophet said this is going to happen on this day and it did not happen, the people could get a view of God that God could actually fail, that God could actually be a failure at knowing what is going to happen in the future. So it begins to weaken their definition of who God is. Number three, I already said it, but this could lead to a wrong definition of God. Instead of a God who is all-powerful, who knows all things at one time, who is immutable, who does not change, now they begin to have a God that's like the pagan gods, that's, that's kind of wishy-washy, and he's kind of strong, he's kind of powerful, but not, not all-powerful. Number four, people could believe that God was actually not sovereign. In other words, that God is not in control of everything in his creation, that his creation is actually in control of him. So if the false prophet says these things are going to happen and they don't come true, and people believe that it was a prophet of God, the people could assume that, well, God wanted these things to happen, but he didn't have enough power to make them happen, and that the creation itself is more powerful than God. Certain people or things, decisions, made choices, and now God didn't know that was going to happen. Now he's all caught up and doesn't know what to do. All right, so they could assume that God uh, might not be sovereign. Number five, it could even lead people to believe that God was weak, uh, a liar, and again, even, even a failure, all right? So, so these things were extremely serious. So those who spoke, thus saith the Lord, and those who were prophets, the standard for them was absolute perfection. And that's why you can see that God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he comes and he, he validates, he stamps his approval on the entire Old Testament because it is true prophecy. These are true prophets that he has spoken through in the past, and now he is fulfilling these prophecies exactly. So these are true prophets. They are not false prophets. Can we trust that the Bible is reliable? Yes, we can. The prophecies that have come true throughout the Bible let us know that it is God's, you might say, divine fingerprint on this book that no other book has anywhere. Um, Let's look and see what Peter has to say on this second Peter, if you want to look at this one, you certainly can. Second Peter chapter one, verses 19 through 21. He says this, and we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Let me read that passage one more time. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The point of this is, Peter is saying that we trust in the prophecy that, that God has spoken through men. This is, they, they were not carried along by their own. This is not just something they felt like saying and said, and, and then everyone said, okay, let's make that scripture. But this is actually from God. It is not man just saying what he wants, but they spoke through, the, the Holy Spirit spoke through them. Uh, if we look at this book, if we look at the Bible compared to others, how common are accurate prophetic predictions uh, in other religious books? In other words, how, how common? Is this outside of the Bible? If you look at other religious books, how common is this that they say the prophets, they have people perhaps that would say this is going to come true in the future. And this comes true exactly as it says it is going to come true. How common is it? Well, what we find if we study all the other books on that shelf that you might find at a Barnes and Noble is that there's only one. There's only one 
with this divine fingerprint on it. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, it is. It is the only one on that shelf who has the divine fingerprint of God speaking through a prophet, something that is going to happen later, and it comes through exactly like that. How many prophecies do we have in the, in the entire Bible? Uh, is it one? I mean, one would be good, but, but perhaps it could be, you know, maybe someone made a lucky guess, you know. Is it two? Are there three, four, five, ten? Are there 15 prophecies, okay, that, that, uh, that different prophets got right over the years? And maybe that's why we think this is the divine fingerprint of God through the Bible. Is it 100? Is it 200? Uh, what we find is actually there's over 1,800 prophecies in the Bible. Other books do not even have one. Okay, so this is what makes this book absolutely unlike any others. And why we can trust that it is reliable is because God's fingerprint is all over it and that he speaks of things that will happen. They come true exactly as he said they would. And we know this is indeed the word of God because only God has the power to see what is going to happen, convey that to a person, and it come true exactly like that. Some prophecies happen in days. They come true. Other ones are 150, 200, 500,000 years down the road where yet the author of this prophecy has no idea what's going to happen that far. It's different generations away, uh, uh, many generations away. He speaks about an event a thousand years in the future, and it comes true exactly as the prophet said. In other words, God does not just have, have knowledge of what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or, or next year, but he knows the whole story. He knows the whole story, and he reveals it oftentimes through these prophets. All right, um, we, have, we do have, and I do want to make that point a little bit clearer, different time spans between when God, a prophet, would speak, thus saith the Lord, this will happen, and it does. Uh, the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, he lets them know, he says, tomorrow uh, you will know that God, you truly worship the true God, the God of Moses, when your priests enter into the the Jordan River, and they take a step in, and the water is going to stop like it did at the Red Sea. It's going to build up, and everyone is going to cross on dry land. So he announces that that is going to happen. And sure enough, the very next day, the priests with the Ark of the Covenant put their feet in the water, and the water stops just like it did at the Red Sea, and they cross the river on dry land. Okay, that was a prophet prophecy uh, from him that came true the very next day. Uh, the, the ten plagues, if you look at them with Moses as he speaks to the Pharaoh, says, you know, if you don't let our people go, this is going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. And sure enough, it would happen exactly as he said that it would. Only God could, could know that. But also you have many prophecies that are, again, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands years down the road. If you look at the book of Daniel, Daniel is amazing, and it hurts critics' minds. As critics try to examine the Bible and they try to take it apart, it hurts their minds so bad. Because in the book of Daniel, he lists out the next 365 years of nations that are going to rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall. 365 years. I mean, imagine knowing that, and, and there's no way for them to know if it's going to come true, but we look back and it happened just as he said it would. In other words, God announces, here's how you know that I am God. Here's how you know that you can trust the words of Daniel. I'm going to tell you what nations are going to rise and fall for the next 365 years. And they come true exactly as the prophets spoke. Uh, we also find this with David, one of the oldest, the longest prophecies that we see. One of, not, not the longest, but one of them that's so interesting is David speaks of the method of death 
of the Messiah, of the Christ. He speaks of it and lets us know that he is going to be crucified on the cross. He describes crucifixion in a way that that what's so interesting is David describes crucifixion before crucifixion was even a method of death, before anyone had even been killed by crucifixion. And he does it a thousand years ahead of time. Rome is the only one who brought this way of death to people. And so a thousand years ahead of time, God speaks through him, describes the scene on the cross, describes that the Messiah will be getting killed in the form of crucifixion. And sure enough, it comes true exactly as God had spoken. Uh, When we look at Jesus, not only can we trust the word of God, but we can trust that Jesus Christ is truly the one prophesied about. As we looked at earlier, Jesus fulfills the law. He fulfills the right. He fulfills the Psalms. He fulfills everything in the Old Testament. All of them are writing about him. How do we know this? How does he tell his disciples to know that I am the one I've claimed to be? It's because he fulfills all the prophecies. Over 400 prophecies about the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the God, the Savior that was going to come to earth, rescue his people from sin. Jesus fulfills them. Not only is there no other book that has these prophecies in them, but there's also no other person that fulfills these prophecies. So we can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that, yes, God exists. Yes, God has spoken. And we can trust in the word of God. We can trust that Jesus Christ is truly the Savior. He hey, was born as it was prophesied where he would be born. He lived as it was prophesied as he would live. He died as it was prophesied by his prophets as he would die. And he will be the final judge over all mankind. So we can trust the word of God. We can trust it from the beginning. We can trust it from the end. And we can also trust that that God, if we have been rescued, if we have been saved by God, there's this extreme peace that we should have in knowing that there is no way we're going to do anything Till all of a sudden we lose that. If God truly knows everything at once, you don't have to worry about, well, if I messed up this day or I didn't do this thing this day, then now I'm not loved by God. God knows the whole story. He has chosen to bestow his love upon you. If you've, been, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've been rescued, you've been saved, you are a child of God, and he knows everything at once. So there's never going to be a sin where he goes, oh, I did not see that one coming. You surprised me on that one. All right, not you anymore, all right? That can't happen. Why? Because he knows everything perfectly and still has chosen to bestow salvation upon you. So there's all kinds of, is the Bible reliable? Yes. And there's this peace of mind that should come upon us because it is extremely reliable. It's the most reliable writing we have because it is from God. All right. Let me look at this for you, too. I made a few points up there. If you didn't get those down or would like to get those points earlier, I'll be glad to send those to you. But God uses prophecy, number one, to bring him glory. Each fulfilled prophecy testifies to its author's wisdom and sovereignty. So this is important. God receives glory when his prophecies come true. And as we look to the Bible and see where God has spoken and then these prophecies come true, it, it, it elevates God. It causes us to glorify him and realize he is God and we are man. He is so wise. He is so knowledgeable. He is so powerful to cause these things, to be able to see these things can come true and announce that they will come true and they do. And who is like him? So in other words, we glorify God because of it. Number two, to show that nothing has the power to alter God's plan. It's extremely important. One of my favorite theologians says, if there's one maverick molecule in the whole universe, then God is not in control. But the way he proves he is in control to us 
is through prophecy. A prophet speaks, whatever it is, days, hundreds of years, thousands of years later, it comes true exactly. Imagine all that has to take place in order for that prophecy to come true exactly as it did. It shows that God is never out of control. Number three, to show that he is trustworthy, that we can trust God. Whatever he says, it is true, it is going to come true. And there's nothing we can do to change the word of God. There's nothing we can do to alter that. If he has spoken it, it is indeed going to come true. Number four, to reveal that he is God alone. That, and this is, we're going to get to this next, but it is to prove that God is God alone. There is no other gods. There are no other gods because no one else can do this. Only true God, real God, has the power to see all things at one time and announce what they are. And this puts him in a category to himself, of course. Uh, number five, to prove that his word is reliable. And that's what we're looking at today, that we can trust in the word of God. Now, if you don't mind, I haven't had you turn too much today, but if you don't mind, turn to the book of Isaiah. And we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41. So past Psalms, little ways. If you get to Jeremiah, you went too far. But we're going to look at this to kind of show you what God says about prophecy and just how much of a divine uh, fingerprint it is on the Word of God, on the Bible that we trust and rely on. Isaiah 41, I'm going to read a few passages from Isaiah because this is a heavy topic in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is a big book. Uh, perhaps some of you have read it, perhaps some of you have not. It's not one that people just pick up often and read a quick verse out of it for a devotion. It is more of one you need to do a study on where you read chapter after chapter with a commentary on standby to kind of know what is happening in it. So I'm assuming that most of us don't have a good working knowledge of the book of Isaiah. But but what we have here is a major prophet. He's written a lot, uh, Isaiah. And and God speaking through him very often as we go through the book of Isaiah. If you look at verse 21... We find that those that Isaiah is speaking to and teaching to and preaching to have gone against God. And they are, they are worshiping the pagan, in other words, the, the surrounding gods, the surrounding people who worship various gods. And, and they would make idols, and they would worship an idol, and they were breaking all the commandments that God had given, that he is God alone, and not to have any images, not to have idols. But they were breaking these, and they were worshiping just, just whatever, anything they wanted to worship, anything they wanted to make, they were worshiping. And they were worshiping false gods. There's only one God. So here in verse 21, God says, Set forth your case says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Now, think think upon this as we've been been studying during the course of this message. Uh, God is actually calling forth the false gods. He's calling the idols forward. He's saying, if you say they are God, Israel, tell them, Tell us what's going to happen in the future. I want their proofs that they are God. What is he saying? He says, prophesy. He says, this is, the, this is how you know I am God. I tell you this will happen and it does happen. Have them try that. To let them know. Uh, we're, we're asking them. Tell us what's going to happen in the future. So look at verse 21. He says, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things what they are, that we may consider them. 
that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Again, what is he saying? He's saying, tell us, if you say that you are God, if you tell, you're telling me that you have a new God now, a new, new one to worship that is truly God, just put this test forward. Tell us what's going to happen, and let's see if it does come true. And they can't do it. So he's challenging them to a claim. If you say they're God, prove it. Here's how I'm going to prove that I'm God. So carry on down. Uh, verse 23. Tell us what is to come hereafter. He continues this challenge. That we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm. You know, announce something. That we may, dismayed and be, that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. So here God calls out the other gods. He calls out all the other religions in the world. And he says, you are nothing. You are an abomination. And anyone who chooses you is an abomination. He says, you are less than nothing. Put forward this test. You can't achieve it. You can't do it. Only I can. Only I am God. Look at verse 25. Uh, I stirred up one from the north, and he has come. From the rising of the sun, and he shall call upon my name. He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay, who declared it from the beginning that we might know, and beforehand that we might say he is right. There was none who declared it, none who proclaimed, none who heard your words. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of this last part of this, cha- this chapter, but what begins here is Isaiah, God is speaking through Isaiah. They, they, they are pursuing other gods. God announces that they are about to be, they're going to be captured, of course, and they're going to be led out into exile. But he gives them the, the year, how long this term is going to last. He also tells them that 150 years now, we're not going to get into all the details of this, but he's beginning to announce it here, that this one is going to free them. That's from another country of a, the Persian Empire and even gives his name. He gives him the, the Isaiah announces his name. His name is Cyrus. Before Cyrus is even born, 150 years from this point, he is announced by God that Israel will be destroyed, their capital will be destroyed as well, but there will be one to come that will free them, allow them to go back and to rebuild their temple. All this is done. So God announces this here. He says, let me show you that I am God. Here's what's going to happen. Here is his very name. Here is the way he is going to invade. The invaders are going to come. Here is how he is going to free you. You're actually going to get to rebuild. All these details he gives. Who can do such a thing? Only the one who is beyond time. And that's why God gives the book of Isaiah. He gives these prophecies to, to them so they can know that they are truly trusting. This is the only one. The only real God. Uh, turn with me just over to pay, uh, chapter 44. And just read a tad bit more of that. 44, verse 24 through 36. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Look at verse 26. But who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. This is the message of God. It has been confirmed to be the message of God by fulfilling their counsel. The prophet speaks. These things will happen. God has spoken through them. How do we know? He fulfills it exactly as he says. So the point of this today is how can we know the Bible is reliable? This is one. We could spend a few weeks on this, but this is a very important point to remember. 
to as you as a Christian think, why do I live like this? Um, why do I not do these things? Why do I not commit these sins? Why do I believe like I should? It's because this is the Word of God, and there is nothing like it on earth. You have chosen the right book. It is the only book that has the divine fingerprint of God throughout it. So we trust the Word of God. We live as God has commanded us to live. We believe as God has commanded us to live. We know that Jesus Christ is the one and only way to heaven. He is the only one that could pay the price for our sins. We trust in Him for our salvation. We know that He has our salvation secure, and it will never fade away. Why? Because He's all-powerful. He knows everything at once, and this is the God we serve. Is the Bible reliable? Yes, it is indeed reliable. Let's pray. God, thank you that we have your word. May we not neglect your word, as you say in Psalm 119. May we not neglect the word of God, but may we store it in our hearts. May it cause us to resist temptations, to fight against sin. May it cause us to believe accurately in who you truly are. May we not trust in other, other writings or other opinions or even our own opinions of how we should live or how we be, should believe if it goes against your word. And God, I pray that as there is a, there is a famine in our land, in our country, for, for people that know the word of God, may we as believers return to studying, to knowing the word of God. We know it is reliable. We trust that it is the Word of God or we wouldn't be here today, but help us to to have a desire, uh, a craving to know it, to study it, and to know you better. We thank you that we can trust that you have spoken and it is your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.